Well, as been indicated, we're working through the uh, a story of David found mainly in 1 Samuel, uh, but actually next week we'll, we'll click over into 2 Samuel, but if you're, you're finding yourselves in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, that's where we've been spending our time. I'm, I'm hoping you all grabbed a uh, study guide, which just sort of helps us as we, we go through a number of our growth groups are working through uh, this study guide, which kind of follows on from our, our, our sermons uh, each, each week. And uh, it's been great I, well, I hope, hope you think it's been, been okay that uh, there's been a number of folk who have been sharing in the preaching responsibilities uh, here. We had Delhove last week. Uh, it was great to have Delhove sharing uh, a little bit more about this, this story of, of, of David and Paul the week before that when we heard about David and Goliath. Um, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity for us to hear what God is saying to us in this passage. So we're up to week six. Week six, so actually, um, yeah, leading us through to the uh, end of, of this term. Today we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel uh, in chapter 20. So we're going to be hanging out in chapter 20 of, of 1 Samuel. Now when, whenever you hear about the story of, of someone, inevitably it's going to involve other people. It's going to involve other people. Um, the men uh, here who were at the men's breakfast yesterday, we heard a, a great story. Can I, can I embarrass you, Darren? Or I can embarrass you. Darren shared his story, and it was just a, a great story. You, you, you need to talk to Darren afterwards if we weren't there and tell, ask him to tell him this story again. It was a great story. But the thing about it is, the story of, of Darren doesn't involve just Darren. It involves other people. It involves parents. It involves a brother. It involves a wife. It involves children. It involves friends. And so you can't hear a story of Darren without involving other people. Can you, Darren? No, no. If I was to tell you my story, my story would involve my parents, it would involve possibly my grandparents, certainly it would involve Angie, it would involve my children, it would involve friends and uh, an uncle and, and uh, nieces. Always stories of, of people involve other people. And it's no different with the story of David. This is not just a story about an individual in isolation. And if you recall over the last few weeks, we've been looking at different people for example, in week one, we looked at the story of, of Hannah and this unexpected birth of Samuel. So we looked at, at Samuel and, and his role in God's plan as well. And then we, 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 we learned about Saul, the, the first king, and the relationship between Saul and, and, and David, and then David, and then, of course, there's Goliath. And, and now we've introduced, and last week, Delhove would have touched on, this um, special person called Jonathan and Jonathan is Saul's son and that is important to put that into context as we look at this story today. Uh, Saul's son Jonathan and his friendship with David. Now to bring a little bit of context in all of this if you've been following along David killed Goliath and everybody thought David, David's this fantastic, gifted, anointed young man. And uh, Delhope would have mentioned last week that uh, when they come back from battle, people go, Saul, Saul's good, Saul's good. 
how good is David? And we're going we're gonna to cheer David. And you can imagine, for an insecure person like Saul, it, it gets the better of him. And he, he recognizes that the anointing of God has kind of left him and, and everybody's looking at David and he gets very insecure. He gets envious and jealous to the point that he wants to eliminate David. Now, think about this for a moment. David is living in the same palace as Saul. Think about this. How's your week been? Your week has been not too bad or not too good. It probably hasn't been involved living in the same premises as someone who's trying to murder you. I, I, well, if you have, come and see me afterwards. We will have a, we'll have a pastoral chat. But the situation for David is dire. King Saul is trying to murder David. And this is where we pick up the story 1 Samuel 20. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but we'll, we'll reflect on the first and the last part of it. 1 Samuel 20. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied, you are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. So you can see here, even Jonathan's not fully aware of, of, of how deranged Saul is. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. So David said, Look, tomorrow is the new moon feast, and I'm supposed to dine with the king. But let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him. David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because an animal sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? Never, Jonathan said, if I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, Who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, I will not send you word and let you know. But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. If I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth." So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. 
Now, the story continues throughout the rest of that chapter, and Jonathan goes to the feast, and David's missing. Saul gets all upset. Once again, he's already insecure. Jonathan then defends David, and so Jonathan goes out, and he looks for David, and he finds David. And I just want to pick this up at the very end of, of the chapter in verse 41. So here, it's just like the very bookend of, of this chapter. After the boy had gone, and that's another story within itself, you can look on that later, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. It's a fascinating story and to a large extent the story of, of David and Jonathan is not contained just within 1 Samuel 20 and I encourage you to read wider in all of this because it's, it's probably the greatest example of friendship in the Old Testament. And I think it says a lot to us as we reflect on this that God desires to communicate some things to us. And I think there's four things about friendship that is communicated within this story. Four things. And the first one is this. The necessity of friendship. Friendship is necessary. It's, it's not an option. David here in this story is incredibly vulnerable, as you can imagine. A young man uh, who knows that he's got an enemy that's out to get him. In fact, here it is that the enemy's son is the greatest blessing at this moment to David. Think about that, the irony. Where is David's safe haven? It's in a, in a man who's the son of the enemy. Now, David and Jonathan, as we read through his, make, make a covenant of, of, of friendship. We find it at the start and in the middle and at the end where they commit themselves to, to one another. Um, some of you may be aware of Eugene Peterson who wrote the paraphrased version of the Bible, the, the message, you know, Eugene Peterson. And he, he wrote a commentary um, on, on this uh, particular story. And his, his comment regarding this was, and I quote this, the friendship between Jonathan and David literally bracketed the evil and the vulnerability in this period in David's life. It was his friendship with Jonathan that made evil survivable. Eugene notices that God's gift to David at that time in his life was Jonathan. Jonathan was the one who brought sanity into an insane situation. And as we dwell on this passage, you'll, you'll find, I think, what God is trying to say to us through this story. David, a talented, gifted, handsome man, he needed a friend. Now, you're probably not in, in David's situation. And as I mentioned, I, I don't think there'd be too many here that are, are waiting for a spear to be thrown your way. You may have some difficult situations, but here's, here's, here's David 
in desperate need of a friend. And I think, can I just comment for a moment to men in particular? I think men aren't easily predisposed towards um, making good, honest and deep friendships. Now, it could be the same for, for women as well, but I think particularly for men, we do find that um, particularly in, the, in a Western culture and particularly like uh, in, the, in the Australian society, it's like tough men can live life on their own. You know, that whole thing, we don't need other people, we can just survive on our own. Well, that is a lie. We need, we need other people. Men and women, we, we need each other. Now, think about this for a moment sometimes you can look at this story and you go you know these these David and Jonathan these wimpy people that they need each other think about this for a moment David and Jonathan were warriors and they led armies out to fight and kill so they're not wimps you know what I'm saying these are hardened battle trained warriors and they recognize the need for friends the need for friends in genesis chapter one we're going to go right back to the very beginning at the very beginning god god created and we see a rhythm within the creation story now i'm not going to go through the whole genesis one and genesis two word by word but you'd probably know this it says god created the heavens and the earth and god declared it is good then God created the birds of the air and he declared it is good. He created the fish of the sea. What did he say? It is good. He created the animals. It is good. He created plants. It is good. He created man and he said it is very good. <laughs> but then we get to an interesting point where chapter 2, verse 18, he follows all of this up with, it is good, and he said, it is not good, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So everything was good, but what he declared was that man should not live alone. He needs someone. Now, we look at that and we go, well, of course, that's a, that's a spouse. That's a, a man and, and, and a wife. Yes, I get that point. But the principle is we need other people. Be it husband needs a wife, wife needs a husband, but we need other people. But think about this point. In the perfect garden of Eden, there is no sin, there is no sickness. If there's one place, if there's one place where man could live alone and live in peace, it'd be the garden, wouldn't it? But even in this perfect environment of the Garden of Eden, God says it's not good. Man needs others. And so, of course, in a broken world like we live in right now, it's even more important to have, have friends. A great preacher of the past, Jonathan Edwards, made this comment the only reason that man was lonely in the garden was because God made us to need others beside himself he designed us that way we're created to be in community as a matter of fact even when we read the Genesis story we read that God said let 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 us 
make this. And when he's talking about us, he's, he's talking about the community of God. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and, and Spirit. God in community. He, he makes us and he designs us to be in community as well. So I don't think we should feel bad if we feel needy for friends because we're made to need other people. We're made in the image of God. So there's a necessity in this friendship. You and I, we need each other. We need friendship. So that's the first point. The second point is this, the the essence of friendship. This friendship between David and Jonathan started back in in chapter 18. So that's why I suggest to you, if you want to get the full picture, start back in in chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20 and onwards, we see this this whole story of the the friendship between David and and Jonathan. And back in in, uh, chapter 18, verse 3, they made a covenant of friendship. Now, I don't think we um, do much of that today. I, I, I don't go up to someone and go, look, I really want to be your friend. Can we make a covenant? That's, that's not a normal Aussie thing to do, uh, unless you're different than me. We just tend to let friendships develop by themselves. So when we talk about a covenant, wh- wh- what do we mean? Well, I think one of, the, one of the best ways to work out what a covenant is, is to work out what a covenant isn't. And what I'm going to focus on a little bit is the difference between, I, I use the word covenant and a consumer covenant and a consumer now covenant requires a a commitment a commitment of of giving a consumer wants everything about getting it's all about getting now i think the best way to illustrate this is that i'm a telstra customer okay i have a have a contract with with telstra so that i can use my my phone okay um do they meet my needs? Well, it depends on what my needs are. And I keep reviewing that and I go, am I getting the best deal from, from Telstra? Or maybe I need to look elsewhere if they don't. Do, do they, what's in it for me? Am I, am I getting the, the, the best bang for my buck and I'm able to use my phone wherever I wanted to? Because you know what? As far as my relationship with Telstra goes, I'm a consumer. Does that make sense? Now, I would assume, I would assume you'd be the same way, whether you're, you know, with, with Telstra or Optus or one of those other telcos or anything like that. That's not really something that's born out of a relationship, something that's, that's heart-born. And I'm, I'm sure you don't go at home each night and, and pray for the Telstra Corporation. I pray God's blessing upon them. And I really want to get to know some of the people there because they sound like such a great guy. Because it doesn't bother me at all. So if they don't meet my need, I might go to Optus because they probably offer a better deal. Can you see? That's, that's what a consumer is, isn't it? Now, there's nothing wrong with being a consumer if, if that's the situation that you're in. I don't, know, I don't know who works for Telstra. Do I? I think I, no, I don't know that I know anyone who works. And frankly, I, I don't really care. Now, that sounds a little bit heartless, but when you're a consumer, that's all that matters, isn't it? I just want to get the best deal. I'm a consumer in that regard but what about if I treat friends like that you wouldn't would you hmm I wonder sometimes 
that's where we, we get to. I want a friend, but I want a friend who can do this, 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 this and this for me because these are my particular needs. It's all about getting, isn't it? Whereas a covenant basically makes a commitment, a commitment of giving, giving to one another. When I conduct um, marriage uh, uh, wedding ceremonies, they will make a commitment to one another, the, 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 the bride and the groom. And they will make a commitment, essentially, till, till death do us part in sickness and in health, we are going to give to one another. And that's all about the marriage covenant. It's giving to one another without regard for self, essentially. Now, does that mean that every, every marriage works like that till death do they part? No, not at all. But at least there's a covenant is at the start to say we are in a covenant with one another and we are going to give of ourselves to one another. Can you see the vast difference between a covenant, whether it's marriage or a friendship or whatever, and a consumer? Poles apart. On the surface, they may look similar, but they're very, very different. Too often in friendships, we can revert to getting, and, and that can happen in marriage. You know, marriage, I'm not getting out of marriage what I really hoped for, and, or children with parents, or parents with children, or whatever. It can be sort of what's in it for me. Can I say even, even churches, people who go to churches can revert to this because we can get to the situation of going, what's this church do for me? And we even use sometimes beggar the thought that we actually use a consumer term sometimes for people and they go oh look i'm i'm just church shopping now that's that's a very much a consumer term isn't it and i'm I'm wanting a product or i'm wanting something so i'm wanting to to get from a church or get from people or whatever a consumer mentality now let's have a look at in in contrast let's look at this this person of jonathan there is certainly no consumer mentality there in fact there's a lot to lose what are the implications what are the implications of jonathan's covenant friendship with david think about this for a moment jonathan voluntarily entered into a relationship with david he didn't have to it was it was voluntary and because of that normally the uh the heir to the throne would be the son of the king wouldn't it so in normal circumstances jonathan could have protested and said hang on i'm the rightful heir to the throne so after saul stands down or dies i should be king but he was willing to give that up he was willing to lose the throne because of his relationship with david he would certainly lose the respect of his father and this was a very precarious situation as the son of the king to side with David was going to lose the respect of his father and we learn later on that ultimately Jonathan lost his life because he stood up for David do you see any consumer mentality in Jonathan what does this say to us and I'll allude a little bit later on that Really, uh, there's, a, there's a, a little bit of an image of Jesus in this friendship of Jonathan that we'll touch on a little bit later. What sort of a friend is that? Someone who gives and not gets. Now, you, you may be aware that um, we're 
we're looking at doing some uh, building renovations here at, at Lismore Baptist Church. We've got some plans over to the side there and we're exploring um, what God may have for us into the future as we look at uh, uh, opportunities uh, to, to, to renovate and build. Now, one of the dangers in all of this, one of the dangers in all of this is that that becomes our, our focus. And we had a little bit of a, a saying as, uh, as, a, as a diaconate as we're exploring this, is we want to make sure that we get the priorities right. And we've used the whole priorities of God, people, programs, property. And if we get those out of order, God, people, programs, property, um, we can very much turn things upside down and not really glorify God. So of course God comes first. Everything we do seeks to glorify God. The second one is people. Just as Jesus said, love God, love each other. Our second greatest priority, our second greatest priority after loving God and glorifying him is to love each other. Now, of course, when you're bringing a loving community together, you need to do ministry together. So you develop programs, you develop programs to facilitate and minister to one another. There's nothing wrong with programs, but programs don't come before people. If programs come before people, that's where you start to develop this you know, consumer about running programs for the sake of, of getting rather than giving. And of course, property should serve the programs as so it goes on. God, people, programs, property. And the danger is that if we get that out of order, we can tend to use people to run programs or to develop property rather than develop a community of people. Love God love each other everything else follows on from there and we see this very clearly between the covenant between Jonathan and David and I think if there's if there's one word if there's one word in this passage that we've read today that characterizes this relationship we see it in verse 8 verse 14 and verse 15 now if you've got your bibles with you verse 8 verse 14 and verse 15 now I would suggest unless you've got uh, quite a different translation most of the time it's it's translated as the word kindness can you see that Ver, verse 8 so in verse 8 uh, we see that as for you show kindness to your servant for you have brought him a covenant verse 14 and 15 but show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your kindness now kindness is a English word that means hmm, nice in the Hebrew now I'm going to be really careful here because there's a there's a Hebrew scholar amongst us um, the Hebrew word in this uh, context is I'm going to say it really loud hesed I'm just going to say hesed because I'm an Aussie I, I can't do the whole Hebrew thing hesed all right that's that's the Hebrew word that we find here here it is, it means unconditional, unrelenting, loyal love. It's more than just, I'm just going to be kind to somebody because they're nice to me, I'm going to be kind to them. It is an unconditional, unrelenting, loyal love. It goes way deeper than just a superficial, I'm going to be nice to people. Does, it, does that make sense? And, and this, this is really the fruit, the fruit of this covenant between Jonathan and David, a hesed relationship. 
if you want to, I don't know what versions you're, you're using there, but it's, it's almost like you want to, you want to go back and, and re-put re that in verse 14, but show me unfailing, unconditional, unrelenting, loyal love like the Lord's unconditional, unrelenting, loyal love as long as I live so that I may not be killed and do not ever cut off your unconditional, unrelenting, loyal love from my family. You see where I'm going from this? It's, it's, it's more than just when I feel like it. It's my absolute commitment of my life. And so if we don't have this hesed relationship, we will always second-guess our relationships. And you know what this led to? When, when you've got an unconditional relationship like this, it means you can be vulnerable with these people. And David was incredibly vulnerable to Jonathan. Look at verse 41. Verse 41. David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground and they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. There's a vulnerability here where they realize things are getting very, very tough. They could be separated. Their lives are at risk. Both of their lives are at risk. And there's an incredible vulnerability these men were not weaklings. They, as I said, they led armies, yet they were willing to be vulnerable to each other and willing to commit to others. Does that speak to you? So here's a challenge. Here's a challenge. How can we move from being a crowd of consumers to a community of friends? How can we ensure that we don't just use each other to get what we want, being a crowd of consumers. How can we truly be a community of friends, committed, unconditional, unrelenting, loyal love, a chesed relationship? Should we ask, God, am I being a consumer with other people? Show me if I am being a consumer. Help me to build a, a covenant relationship with people in a community. Not just to show up at an event, but to build deep friendships. One of the things um, some of you may or may not know, we've been um, starting a, a uh, I was going to say a program. Um, <laughs> work with me here. Um, building a discipleship culture which we've been running for, for nearly two years now and one of the, the amazing things we're up to our, our, our second uh, cluster one of, the, one of the great things about this program is it's so simple it just seems ridiculous that we're actually thinking it's basically an accountability group where we look to read the Bible with other people that's it in a nutshell there's no secret source or anything like that it's just we get read the bible with one another and one of the great things about all of that is when you commit to just sitting with people giving of your time to other people to read the bible with other people relationships develop and there's these beautiful stories that we're hearing that's happening within our own church of people who are just reading the bible with other people and can i say one of the greatest blessings is is that um, as you read the bible with other people you tend to get just as blessed as they do as God speaks to you through reading the Bible with them as well 
And uh, I've, I've got a couple of people who I'm reading the Bible with at the moment, and it's, it's just a wonderful relationship. And that's one of the things that I guess we're trying to emphasize is that uh, it's, it's more important to be sitting with, with people, giving of yourselves to people than, you know, running fantastic, nothing, like I said, nothing wrong with programs, but just an opportunity to be able to see how the relationship builds as we join together one with another. So that's the essence of friendship. The third point I like to make is that this friendship is characterized by selflessness. Less of us and more of others. And looking at this story of Jonathan and David, Jonathan literally gave up everything to bless David. Now, I think when too often when we talk about friendships, people bring that right down to the lowest common denominator and go, well, look, I've got no problem with, with friendships because on my Facebook, I've got hundreds of friends. And look, here's, here's my Facebook. And look, you know, hundreds, hundreds. Some will say thousands. You know what I think the problem is? That when we get to that lowest common denominator is we really cheapen the word friends. And we probably shouldn't use the word friends on Facebook. They are merely contacts, aren't they? Let me tell you now, if, 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 if we work on that particular level, I'd like to ask that question. If you've got hundreds of friends on, on Facebook... Once again, nothing wrong with Facebook if you want to use it as a level of communication. But don't sort of think about that's the way you can develop strong, deep and intimate relationships. But if you've got hundreds of those friends, scroll through now. Yeah, you can do it now if you want to. Or, or get your contacts list. Go to the, if you don't have Facebook, just go to your contact list of your phone. Okay, go through your contact list. There it is right there. All, all my contacts, some of them I probably call friends. Others are simply contacts if someone was trying to hurl a spear at you aka you know Saul and David who would you call who who would be your deepest committed unrelenting loyal friend in your contact list Oh, you can have a look if you like. I'm looking down for mine. Um, and I would suggest you could have hundreds in your Facebook or your contact list or anything like that. I suggest there wouldn't be too many who you could say that you have a hesed relationship with. Now, once again, there's nothing wrong with having hundreds of contacts. But I think at some point we've got to look and say, who are the ones who I am there for and they are there for me? Which ones are true friends? Now I make this comment that um, oh, my wife just sent a text message to me. <laughs> should, should I read this or not? Mm. Oh. <laughs> it's just between me and her. I... <laughs> anyway, John, get back on track. Um, if you, want a, if you want a friend, ultimately you've got to be prepared to be a friend. Are you prepared to be vulnerable, to, to be a friend in order to develop friendships? Want a friend? Be a friend. It requires, though, that we, we make sacrifices because we don't 
develop a friendship so that we can just feel good about ourselves. We develop friendships because we want to be a blessing to others, don't we? Which leads me to my last point, and that is this. The redeeming power of friendship. Look at this story in 1 Samuel. God is working in this relationship between these two men. And we can see that God is obviously working in and through as Jonathan and David develop this friendship. Now look at verse 42. We can see, I'll see the little triangle here. Put up the little triangle. I spent a bit of time doing that triangle. So God's working both ways as the relationship with Jonathan and David. God's working over all of this. And I think it's characterized quite clearly in verse 42. So in verse 42, we read this. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to town. God is over all of this. God is working through David. God is working through Jonathan. Both are blessed. Both give hope. God is ministering to Jonathan. God is ministering to David as David and Jonathan minister to each other. And it's just a a blessed thing. If we put back up to that little triangle again, I just sort of think any hessed relationship is how that works. God over both, ministering to both as we minister to each other. It's just, it's the way it should be. Now, we move forward a thousand years or so to the New Testament. Here comes Jesus through the line of David, by the way. And Jesus builds friendship with 12 men. 12 men. Through three years of an adventure ministering together. Jesus, through that journey of three years, he knew that Peter would deny him. As a matter of fact, he even prophesied that, that Peter would deny him. And, and Peter said, no, 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 no. But Jesus knew that, that at his greatest need, Peter would deny him. Jesus knew that Judas would turn his back on him. Jesus knew all of, the, all of the disciples would desert him in his greatest hour of need. As a matter of fact, we know that Jesus performed miracles, fantastic miracles to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And yet the point would come that Jesus would die alone. And yet, in John chapter 15, verse 15, with all of that awareness that Jesus had, John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I have called you friends. Even though I'm going to die alone, even though you will desert me and deny me and run away, I'm, I'm going to call you friends. I'm going to be incredibly vulnerable to you. Even though he knew he would go to the cross alone, he still called them friends. He had a hesed, unconditional, unrelenting, loyal friendship. So here's my point. We're followers of Jesus. We have Jesus as our hesed friend. Unconditional, unrelenting and loyal. That, 
that should bless our socks off that we've got someone who is always going to be there for us. Because the point is, even if we become vulnerable, right? We become vulnerable. I know some of you are thinking this right now. Yep, I've given of myself to other people. I've given of myself. I've been unconditional, unrelenting, Lord. And they've hurt me. They've let me down. Hmm. Guess what? It does happen. But here's the point as a follower of Jesus. You can be let down by other people, but you will never be let down by Jesus. And so in some ways, knowing that we have this incredible friendship, this hessed relationship with Jesus, should give us all the more confidence to say, if I've got this unbreakable relationship, I can risk going out making relationships with other people, can't I? Because if they let me down, I've still got someone who's never, ever going to let me down. True? So Christians more than anyone else should be able to go, I'm willing to risk relationships. I'm willing to, to, to give to other people. And yes, along the way, I may be hurt. I may be let down. People may desert or deny me. But I've got a friend. And this image of, of Jonathan in the Old Testament really only points to Jesus. Jonathan, certainly not the saviour, the perfect one, but this image of someone who is willing to give of himself for others ultimately to lose his life only points to the perfect one who gave of himself being God in fact himself dying on the cross for us that we may know a hessed relationship and by his spirit that then empowers us to go and be that hessed people for others so here's the challenge. I'll say it once again. How do we move from being a crowd of consumers to a community of friends? A crowd of consumers to a community of friends. I think it's ultimately got to start with Jesus, doesn't it? As we look at what Jesus did for us, his love, unconditional love, unrelenting love, loyal love that would send him to the cross that he says come to me you'll find rest you'll find peace you'll find a, a true friend in him and that that should be the the inspiration that that should be the empowerment for us then in our relationship with others true